camera on. <laughs> I dare you. I double dog dare you. Insert theme music now. <laughs> we all clap. These are all orders for Carter in post production. Do we have the Apparently theme music on the clapper? <laughs> oh, I do. I accidentally deleted. I looked up here and I thought, oh, look, in this new display, it has our theme music. And I pressed the button, which was the X button, to delete it forever. <laughs> so That's that a good thing out. about upgrades. Mm hmm. Yeah, just up, straight up upgrade them. Straight up upgrade them. Straight upgraded. Um, right. I, yeah, I, I talked to Carter this week, uh, and apparently he's like got all these like um, uh, chopped and screwed remixes of all her podcasts. He's been like working over um, <laughs> in detail for a year <laughs> that have like uh, outstanding humorous editing throughout them. Finally, we have so we're gonna... our Patreon cuts. Yeah, do yeah. So the, the Carter producer Carter chopped and screwed edition. Should be it. Should be a hit on all the shelves. <clears throat> anyway, I guess we can start. Hey, welcome to Attica Shrugged, a podcast about culture, politics in the South. Um, yeah, that we're doing. That I'm doing from here in lovely northern Japan, in a hotel, sitting looking at the ocean at all the octopuses. Uh, with me as always are David Dykes. Hello. Was that a fake delay? Did you fake your delay to freak us out? And Chad Watson. Hello, I'm uh, broadcasting from Texas. Chad Faker. Open for <laughs> uh, I'm spiritually in Florida. We're open for business. Is Mexico open for business? <laughs> um, all the dogs are barking again tonight, so I guess that means stuff's going on. Does that tell you the uh, like the level? Like in Japan, here we have like where local landmarks are lit up at the level, the alert level, or the <laughs> the dogs of San Miguel an alert level. I'm not sure what they're on the alert about, but they're definitely alerted. I would say probably level uh, brown or brindle. <laughs> All right. So the good thing is that nothing's, again, nothing's going on in the news concerning the South this, this last two weeks. So we're set. Anyway, see we, you guys next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> We've got a lot of um, governors um, acting out. All the governors. A lot of governors governing. Or not. Yeah, or not. Well, why don't we go through those governors? Do you want to go through them from uh, east to west or west to east? Which way are we going to go through them? I think we can just stick with your two home states. Uh, yeah. as a pretty part. Well, but there's some other governors involved here. We have uh, Kay Ivey, governor of Alabama, Roll Tide, who's decided to keep um, her mask uh, mask requirements in place for the state of Alabama. Has she oh, I'm sure she will. I'm sure uh, she's probably got like Harvey Updike's going to come poison a tree. Well, he's dead <laughs> now, but they're going to probably get a tree poison on her property at some point. Um, well, I think she yeah, said I'm, she said that she was going to keep it until Easter, and then hopefully mm -hmm. by Easter they can they Be can uh, yeah they can uh, roll the stone back and yeah. <laughs> the mask uh, the mask order is risen has risen. But they did that. They kept the um, 
they they kept the mask order, but then also didn't the like the legislature like outlawed uh, trans like surgeries for surgeries and hormones for trans youth um, made that a crime. Like if you give if a doctor prescribes hormones, uh, transitioning hormone, I think that I think that happened in Alabama this week. I wouldn't doubt it. I've not been uh, keeping no, up I on don't the. Know. Uh, I haven't been relying on Alabama to be the, the, the country's leader on. on these I'm just things. looking. I'm just uh, looking for a worse governor. That's all I'm doing. I'm just looking for a worse. Governor. <laughs> well, if you live in the southeast, you're kind of in a constant competition for. Uh, please let someone's governor be worse than mine. And the weird thing is, like the last you know eight years living in Louisiana, I was actually winning at the competition of not having the worst governor. Very strange. Very strange. <laughs> but between Abbott, Ivy, DeSantis. And who's the governor of Mississippi? Like Claude with the weird haircut. I can't think of his name. But I think it's um. He's got somebody, like somebody I went to high school with. It was somebody I went to high school with and tried to get me to join a fraternity in high in college. Yeah, he's like if Tucker Carlson wasn't born in La Jolla to millionaires, mm-hmm. it's like he looks like that. He's kind of like the Southern Baptist Tucker Carlson. <clears throat> and then yeah. Bill Lee, the governor of Tennessee, is just like. A Southern Baptist, like the most generic Southern Baptist you could ever have. He wears the Southern Baptist seems, suit. He... Oh, yeah. It seems to me like you guys in Tennessee always get, like, we get we get the, like, outrageously ridiculous ones, and you guys get, like, the deacon version. Like the church deacon. We do, but we get the outrageously ridiculous uh, state senators and yeah. um, uh, national senators and, and Congress people. Well, the Senate, not so bad. I mean, um, uh, Lamar Alexander is definitely uh, shit-heeled, but a completely generic, personality-less Republican shit-heel. But Marsha Blackburn, I think, uh, is up there with uh, Gates and um, uh, a lot of the worst people in Congress. Almost as nuts as... Um, uh, honestly, got crazy person. Georgia? Yeah. What's the crazy person from Georgia? What's her name? Uh, I forget her name as quickly as possible. So something. Marjorie uh, Green, Marjorie, Marjorie uh, Taylor, Taylor, Marjorie Green. Taylor Green, Marjorie Marjorie Bartman Green, Marjorie Tinker Taylor Spy. Yeah. Um, well, I think Marsha Blackburn. She voted. Uh, she was one of the senators who voted to. Uh, um. She voted against democracy back when that we were doing that. Like, um, you know, she, when they put it up for vote. When they put it up for vote on January sixth, like she voted to not ratify some of the votes from some of the states. Certify, yeah. Certify, yeah. So that was. Yeah, Marshall Blackburn's like full on crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you know, in Florida, we have Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, who are like not very charismatic crazy people, uh, who are both I think would have been content in like the eighties to be like you know either Reagan Democrats or just kind of Mitt Romney Republicans, but have now seen which way the wind's blowing and have latched on to, uh, to being crazy. Yeah. Although Marco Rubio that came out of kind of a tea party, tea party thing, but he's such a boring, boring individual. There's such it's weird. Cause you know, uh, hmm? yeah, There's like, but, uh, yeah. yeah, Matt, Matt Gates put up a tweet this week saying, uh, my boy, Matt Gates <clears throat> saying that, um, you know, Republicans are the party of the working class, they're the work party of the working people. Um, and 
you know, I realized I don't, I didn't know what Marco Rubio's like previous career was. And it turns out there isn't one, which is, it's kind of like Matt. There's like not one, like he got a law degree and then immediately was a, an elected official. I think that's the message uh, that they were instructed to put out at CPAC. It definitely. Because definitely. Um, uh, even um, uh, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Was, um, yeah, Ted Cruz did that. Even Ted he Cruz was, was out talking like, about um, what, what working class things were going on in the party. My senator, my senator Ted Cruz, yeah, said like, hey, like, yeah, the Republican Party is the party of the working class. And then somebody replied back to him, you're literally tweeting this from a resort in Orlando. <laughs> And what's his wife's job? She's a um, she works, she's like the head counsel at like Goldman Sachs. Yeah, or she's the head counsel at Goldman Sachs, <laughs> and like she oversees like a lot of the energy, like a lot of their investments, like in energy corporations. So a lot of the uh, companies that played uh, a part in the uh, that thing that happened a couple of weeks ago, where all of Texas almost froze to death. Um, you know, she was. Yeah, we've decided editorially we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to cover that. <laughs> the thing that happened. Yeah, and Rick Scott is a hedge fund manager, yeah. former Navy intelligence hedge fund manager. These are all coincidences. These are all just coincidences. <clears throat> so, not I the country. I think I forgot the first part of the tweet. Hmm? I watched most Did of not the his speech at uh, CPAC. Mm-hmm. And it was I'm sort sorry. of, he was, he was trying to make it uh, kind of a barn burner, which I'd never seen him He's doing so that before, that. pretending to be excited <laughs> about things. I mean, famously, I think everybody saw that he led with the joke about going to Cancun while people were freezing to death in Texas. And then uh, yeah. he just kept getting more and more fake worked up about um, how good the Republican Party was for the working class and all the talking points and all. And it was, um, I understand why people think that he is so profoundly anti-charismatic, because I saw it in action um, when he was trying to get people riled. Isn't it weird, though, because I, and this is a kind of across the board with conservatives, but I've seen it with Ted Cruz. I remember in his first run, they were asking people who had gone to support him, like that are walking, watching one of his speeches, going on and on about how, what an incredible speaker he was. I remember one of them saying it's like a little touch of Hollywood here in Texas. And then if I watch him like trying to drain any bias I can out of it, he seems to me just a really awful, awful public speaker like i can see because you know he was like mr college debate guy but i think those people are terrible public speakers too right like what they would do works for debate competitions but it's bad speaking like it seems to be the kind of across the board thing amongst because i can't i'm trying to think of a good public speaker amongst conservatives i mean trump's funny trump's funny in a way that he doesn't get well, i don't want to say credit for but he like has something that he's doing he has a bit that he's doing like um, Matt Gates is a terrible public speaker. Ted Cruz just is repellent in his public speaking. Rick Scott has no personality whatsoever. Same with Marco Rubio. Like who, who is there? If you want a little bit of Hollywood in Texas politics, I think Dan Crenshaw's uh, um, motion picture about uh, uh, up know, taking orders from a British person to go and attack mm-hmm. Americans in. Uh, Sitting That's in a car in the field. Yeah. We prefer the term film. We prefer film. 
the Antifa uh, field squadron. <laughs> the field detachment of Antifa. In their Buick. Uh, Dan Crenshaw. In their Buick, yeah. Oh, well, it's the official car. It's the official sponsor of Antifa. Antifa's <laughs> mobilized infantry. Um, Buick. Hey, you know how we're going to do anti-fascist stuff in Georgia? We're going to park a Buick in a field. That goes well. Just gonna sit here, sit here in it. I mean, look, it looked like they were shrooming. Like that whole thing looks like they're probably out there shrooming, and then Dan Cran show up. Do you think maybe that whole thing was a dream? They were just dreaming the whole, the whole, (laughs) like the Bay of Pigs. It was all a dream. A beautiful dream. It's like because it it was as effective as the Bay of Pigs in stopping uh, Georgia from going blue. Yeah, so many things are. Effective as a Bay of Pigs. I went down that uh, sort of rabbit hole lately about the um, the reappraisal of the Bay of Pigs, but that's a, that's another that's for another another day. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, stuff we're talking about. Well, we were already kind of hitting on it. So we hit on uh, Ivy in in Alabama, and then John Bell Edwards is kind of holding in Louisiana. But then I'm following like moderate Facebook acquaintances in Louisiana who are like, when are we going to stop this mask nonsense and let people get back to work? Um, so I don't know how, you know, his his political position is always tenuous in Louisiana, but I, I'm very worried about the prospects. Are the, the those are people in New Orleans? Well, Jefferson, Jefferson Parish. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's the weird dynamic that that goes on is that all of this plays out along like the political fault lines that we already know about, right? It's like New Orleans people are like, you know, we have to fight against this. We're sticking this out. Like we've lost so many people this year. And then Jefferson Parish is like, oh, what's the big deal? Why aren't we letting people get back to work? Yeah. What are you afraid I'm, of? Is it the same? This is not going to. Well, I was just saying all that all that fried shrimp at Dave and Buster's is not going to eat itself. I don't know. Not, not going to eat itself. Man. <laughs> so weird. Like it, it's so it's so weird and frustrating too. And like some of these are like people I I I like them as people. They seem like very nice people to me. But they are like very much committed to the idea we've talked about before of um, what you shouldn't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of a deadly virus. Well, no, you probably should be. That's probably the appropriate response is to be afraid. So that's Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi with uh with Tate Reeves or all sorts yeah, of other the problems. Go- the governor of Mississippi's name is Tate Reeves. I can't I can't believe I... he's got a great conservative name. Yeah. It's it's and like then, a kind uh, of plantation name. Yeah. <laughs> it's kinda of like the third generation. It's kinda of like you but you can call me trip guy in the fraternity. Um, yeah. Tate Reeves the third Well, I mean that's if he was from a plantation. I was thinking it was a good name just for a plantation. Oh, Tate Reeves. I don't know if I'll ever make it back to Tate Reeves, but if I do, Uh, I'm never going to let it slip through my hands again. I I recently went, just to remind myself that I wasn't dreaming, uh, I was reviewing the the really popular miniseries North and South from when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I was looking up all the character names in that, and I'd forgotten. You know, the main the main character Ori Main. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna go. We should do a whole. We could do like several episodes of North watch and it. South. We should watch the North North, North and South. Oh, we should, David. I'm guessing you might have been 
uh, well, probably your family. <laughs> I'm guessing you might have been a little bit of the wrong uh, family type and maybe a little bit aged out of having to watch North and South, the miniseries. No, I never saw it. I uh, I think I was living in Mexico, but my my family was, most of my family was pretty strong union and they don't have a lot of yeah. um, nostalgia for that sort of stuff. And uh, my dad, you know, as reactionary as he was in some bizarre ways, he was um, uh, certainly not some sort of sentimental person about the Confederacy of all things. He wasn't well, think sentimental he... about the uh, um, mainstream, like, uh, CBS miniseries. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. The only good thing about North and South was that Johnny Cash... Uh, uh, said he would be in it if he got to play John Brown. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Yeah, and, make him was he? Ma- yeah. Wearing oh, a black cool. suit. Like wearing a big black suit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the main characters are uh, Ori Maine, George Hazard, Madeline Fabre, Constance <laughs> Flynn, Virgilia Hazard. Ashton Maine. <laughs> Virgilia Hazard Open sounds event. like a kind of porn name. Yeah. <laughs> and, and introducing Tate Reeves. <laughs> Isabel Truscott Hazard. <laughs> Clarissa Galt Maine. Bernetta Halloran. Played by Morgan Fairchild, no joke. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Fairchild. Yeah, yeah, my girlfriend, Morgan Fairchild. All right. So, and then we have uh, Florida, which is um, Governor Ron DeSantis, who the Ron DeSantis news for this week has he's been um, doing pop-up, pop-up coronavirus vaccination sites. <laughs> um, and it turns out these uh, vaccination sites happen to be in um, really exclusive residential enclaves, gated communities, <clears throat> such as the Ocean Reef Club in Key Largo, where uh, where the former governor of Illinois lives. And immediately after getting their pop-up vaccination site, the uh, former governor of Illinois, is it Romer? Is it Romer that was there? Uh, yeah, Rauner, Bruce Rauner, sent a $250,000 check to, um, to, to DeSantis' campaign fund. So there's that. <laughs> And this is going on like across the state. So <clears throat> there's an article in um, it's called Stat Stat News this week by Olivia Goldhill uh, entitled "In Palm Beach, COVID-19 Vaccines Intended for Rural Black Communities Are Instead Going to Wealthy White Floridians." Which, uh, if you're in my profession, like we could have told you that was exactly what was going to happen. Because if there's one drum that everyone bangs in disaster research, is that it's only a like a recapitulation of of the problems we already have. So, <clears throat> so yeah, so this money that was supposed to, are these vaccinations that have been kind of routed, supposed to go to rural black communities. Uh, it isn't happening. It isn't happening, especially in places like uh, Bell Glade, where if you know anything about Florida, that's where migrant labor, that's like a migrant, where a lot of migrant laborers live, people who work in the sugar, sugar fields and stuff, um, harvesting that, haven't been getting the vaccination, but places like these gated communities, like, uh, what's the name of the Ocean Reef Club, Ocean Reef Club and Key Largo are. Um, we have a friend, hmm? 
Oh, we have a friend who's a friend of the podcast. I won't say the name just because I'm going to be a little um, dismissive of, a, of an idea, but uh, he's in. He's a scientist and is in um, um, very concerned with the sciences. And we were talking back in um, November, I guess it was, about when things were going to be opening up. And I remember him saying, well, we have really good results from vaccine trials and they're pretty much ready to go. So how could we possibly not be completely open for business by the summer? And it just, you know, yes, I was people, in this conversation. Yeah, the people, <laughs> the people who aren't really uh, sort of keeping their heads in politics don't realize how screwed up and how much uh, incompetence to start with and how much malice there is too. And how much hypocrisy of all the Republicans who said we need to stay open, masks are ridiculous, all the rest. Uh, we need to make sure that working class people keep going to work. Otherwise, how are they going to get paid? And then they shove to the front of the line to get uh, vaccines. It's um, uh, And that's surprising yep. to it's almost kinda, nobody it's, it's except for people who don't pay attention and don't yep. know how things work. Yeah, and it's also a problem, and I'm sorry, this is a, a professional complaint, but but we make it a lot, is that when, when something like this happens, they tend to, government and media tend to talk to epidemiologists about this. And like, I understand why, right? But it's like epidemiologists and public health people deal with what they deal with, and then there are other people who like work on disasters as sociologists, for example, who could very easily tell you like this isn't going to be applied equally at all. It's not going to be because it never is and never has been. Um, but I mean, that's kind of a downer and people don't really want to hear it. They want a narrative about how science works. And it's like, well, science, science does work inside the narrow box, you know, that it can work in. And then outside of that, other things take effect. Which is also science, by the way. But anyway, that's my professional complaint. So yeah, DeSantis responded today, I think. No, no, this is longer ago than today. This is last week. Um, he says, there's some people who are more upset at me for vaccinating seniors than they are at other governors whose policies have killed seniors. And that is a joke. So I assume he's um, referring to Cuomo, who is kind of funny. I've been... I tried to lay off Facebook for a while. I've been looking at it more lately, but I saw some comments like that recently. It was like, um, oh, yeah, the left, uh, I guess everything Cuomo does is okay. And it's like, well, a lot of people on the left have been complaining about Cuomo for a long, 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 long time. That's kind of out of our purview, but I suppose it's given people like DeSantis a foil now where they can say, yeah, don't look at what I'm doing. Don't look at this. Doesn't Cuomo suck too? It's like, yeah, Cuomo does suck, but you were selling essentially kind of like trading, trading vaccinations for campaign donations over here. Well, and the thing with, um, I think the, the, the thing with Cuomo is just like everything else where actually most of the people who I've seen who've been really pissed off about Cuomo's uh, actions and behaviors and all the rest are people on the left. But uh, somebody like DeSantis makes up an imaginary left winger who is oh, yeah. standing wow. behind Cuomo no matter what, refusing to believe anything bad about him. And I'm not saying those people don't exist on the left. I'm just saying that's not most people on the left. 
uh, by any means, and certainly not a generalization that you could build any kind of um, shelter from criticism for your own behavior on. Yeah, it's a really, t- I mean, it's, yes. And this is a, the conservative technique for everything. It, and it, it's so weird because it can bounce around that include everything. It's very useful. You just say, well, why doesn't the left care about this or the left cares about that? And then you never read or interested in any debates happening within the left at all. Like it exists as a, as a caricature of these things constantly. Um, and then, as you know, if you're ever interact on social media, you are asked to explain for, you're asked to argue you're asked to stand in as a proxy for the imaginary person. Yeah. So you have to say, and I know this happens to you a lot, David, like uh, you have to say, start begin by saying, but I don't think any of those things. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think no, I probably awesome. have uh, a uh, friends list in social media that includes more um, um, conservatives, not hardcore conservatives, I think, uh, uh, a few. And then also I have a lot of friends who are mutual or, or their friends that are not mutual friends. Some of them are very, very hard right. And I don't know why they don't cut them out, except that a lot of my friends are sort of journalists and former journalists, and they build relationships with all different mm-hmm. sorts of people, and they want to maintain them so that they can get access to what those people are saying and thinking and doing and all the rest. But um, it's really frustrating when you come across those are my dad's family. That's my dad's family. Your dad's family are all journalists? No, my dad's family is like (laughs) right wing uh, crazy. Yeah. I kind of, uh, this kind of touches on that. And I was asking about this on social media this week was that like, I'm in several like local hometown history groups. Um, and it's kind of amazing to me, like how just like at the flip of a switch, they turn like really reactionary, like hardcore reactionary conservative. And like you can see like people having to kind of manage them in a way to like say, okay, we're going to insulate you from anything that's going to make that switch flip. We're going to make sure that everything's okay with you, that that's not going to happen. And so I kept seeing it coming this week. I think it was the Fort Walton history one, which the guy who is the administrator of it is very active on it. He's currently running for uh, city council, and he seems like one of these guys who honestly is. I'm just going to play everything right down the middle. But he was doing uh, stuff for Black History Month about local history. And um, so he uh, – is he the congressman for – maybe not Houston, maybe it's Dallas, Congressman Green – who was kind of on the news for speaking this month about how trans rights were, people denying trans rights were kind of like people who denied civil rights. Uh, I think so. I think that was from Dallas. He's not Houston. Um, yeah. So and he's from Fort Walton. He graduated from Choctahatchee High School. And so when the administrator posted this, the photos of him kind of graduate from Choctahatchee High School and stuff, they said, uh, please say, please don't make any negative comments or some like warning at the top of it to not make negative, negative comments. And it's like, you know what he means. You know what is meant by that. But then you go under it, and it was honestly like he's the devil, the worst of the worst. And then someone commented like, "Oh, I guess you're trying to get the black vote, right?" About the, the administrators running for city council. And then um, like uh, a black woman under is like, "This is why I don't participate in this group anymore." And then I kind of put under it like, "Isn't it interesting that you have to put a warning 
on anything you post for Black History Month. And then, of course, everybody on there is like, nobody brought race into this except yeah. for you, it, except for the guy above who says, you know, isn't this about black votes? I'm like, yeah, there's nothing, there was nothing involving race in the fact that when you made a post for Black History Month, you had to put a warning to keep negative comments out of it, right? Like, what, what is that? And then here's the funny thing again, all of those people, if you click on who they are, it's uh, cops, ex-cops, and military and ex-military. And it's like, so you think this isn't a bigger, a bigger problem? This might be something that you want to worry about. Um, are there are there other uh, men living in um, um, the Florida Panhandle who aren't cops, ex-cops, well, or military? Cops, ex-cops, military, ex-military gets a check. We have gets a check lives around there. Um, we have my cousins in the military and they, I decided to move down. We have a lot of those. Uh, we have, I, I used to fish, but the government won't let me fish no more. We have those. They're probably, that's probably ex-military though. Yeah. Um, Yeah. A lot. We have the, the entire cast of Vernon, Florida. Yeah. All that, uh, Nightcrawler farmers, earthworm farmers. And that's boilers. just underneath the know. ground. That's just underneath. That's just the top <laughs> of it. Um, greatest film ever made. So we also have, uh, speaking of Black History Month, we also have um, what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi right now, which is absolutely nuts, which is the city of Jackson has not had, or a lot of it, has not had running water for several weeks now since the, the cold weather front. Um, no running water. And if you know anything about the demographics of Mississippi, like Mississippi's the the blackest state in America and Jackson's the blackest town in the blackest state, 84% African American. I think um, average household income is $40,000. And you have uh, huge sections of the city without running water and haven't had running water for weeks. Because, as with all these things, no one decided, or it was decided actively to not invest in any kind of infrastructure for the last 30 or 40 years, 50 years, however long. Um, well, I'm and sure nobody said anything. Nobody nobody said, hey, yeah, no, maybe we should right. uh, winterize these water plants. Do something plants. about this. Right. You mean the last time it and, happened, nobody mentioned it? Right. The last time and the last time and the time before that. And Governor Tate Reeves says, of course, that it's a Jackson problem, not a Mississippi problem. Um, so there you go. And I believe the last I checked the FEMA website yesterday or the day before when somebody brought this up, they have not made an emergency declaration for the state of Mississippi. And so FEMA can't can't do anything. Uh, so the, the government, the government, the federal government can't do anything unless the state government request makes an emergency declaration. So. It's just uh, it's just water. I mean, you can go. To, <laughs> what is it? You can you buy just, it at the Coke factory. Yeah, you just go to the Coke factory and get some water. You can buy it off them. They own the water. But this is part of. I guess we haven't talked since. Well, we talked like after the the cold weather stuff. But Chad, we haven't heard like how are how are you guys doing there with all the cold weather nonsense? Well, most everybody has water uh, back now, but um. It was it was pretty touch and go there for a while. Like we were, I, my house personally, I was okay. But a lot of like most of my students, I uh, most of my students were without water. Or some I, there's a couple students 
that just recently got water back this week. So this has been, you know, like three, four weeks that they've been without water, you know, like taking showers, like in the gym class at the, um, because there just wasn't, you know, the water plants were not winterized. I mean, this was, uh, it happened. So it happened in 2011. There was a big winter storm similar to this, not as bad. And everybody said, well, we should winterize the, the, um, we should winterize these, you know, the power plants, we should winterize the water, the, the, uh, water plants. And then in 2018, they actually, the off, I think it was, um, maybe the Texas office of emergency, emergency management said, Hey, like, remember back in 2011 when all this like winter stuff happened, like, did we nope. ever do anything? Did we, did we do anything about that? And, nope. and they said, Nope. Like, well, maybe we should, you know, and then cut to like, you know, three weeks ago it happened and it was like, well, this is unprecedented. Like this has never <laughs> happened before. Unprecedented and, means uh hasn't happened in the last two or three days. Yeah. I mean, and I think a lot of the same stuff that happened in Jackson happened here around Houston was like the water plants were just not winterized. So not only was it like everybody's house was like everybody's house, like their water, their pipes were breaking and the pressure was going down, but the actual water plants were like their pipes were breaking because they were not winterized and, and the power plants were not winterized. And so like pipes, like you know, the gauges break, right? Like, yeah, like the gauges gauges were breaking. Yeah. And so, and there was apparently, apparently we were minutes away from like the entire grid collapsing, (laughs) which would have been meant like most of the state of Texas would have been without power for months, maybe. Like if that had happened, and it was very, very, very close to happening. It was very close to happening, and could happen again easily. And and like a lot of people, I mean, I was only we were only out of power for a couple of days, but I knew a lot. I mean, there were a lot of people that were out of power for, you know, like ten, you know, like ten or you know, like almost two weeks, you know, pipes burst, you know, root like. And in Texas, most of the pipe, you know, there's no basement in, there's no basement right. in Texas. So all the pipes are in the ceiling. And so like when your pipes burst, you know, your ceiling, all of your house, yeah, your ceiling, you know, your ceiling comes down. So there's all that. And, and now there's like a lack of supply, you know, people are tr- going in trying to replace these pipes, but there's no supply, you know, like we're out of like supplies to yeah. replace these pipes. So that's one of the things that I I didn't I don't know why I hadn't thought this through before but when I first started working on disaster stuff I didn't realize like that the amount like it can change the world market for supplies construction supplies because like Katrina did the tsunami in Indonesia did because like there's all of a sudden a mass demand for like you know, piping so all of yeah. a sudden the prices go up on all this stuff like, the supplies are marked around you can't I had like one of my students dad is a plumber and his dad like like well he had a friend that lived in Chicago. So he called his friend in Chicago and got him to buy supplies. And so he drove to like Tennessee and met him in Tennessee and bought, like picked up all these supplies so that he could go around and fix people's house, like fix pipes in people's houses. And, um, Wes, you would know better than us about, maybe. um, they talk about, um, Hundred year storms, hundred year freezes, hundred year whatevers. Uh-huh. Is that right. an actual thing, or is that made up by the Weather Channel or something? Well, do you know what the do you know what the 
are you asking rhetorically or do you know what the actual metric is? Like, do you know? Because a lot of people don't know this. I know that. I think I know I, this. I You're a math don't teacher. really know. I just know that that I've heard people talking about uh, when they're talking yeah. about winterizing and things like this. On the one side, there's somebody saying, yeah. well, this is a hundred year thing. So why would we put all this money right. into it? And this is fix it. And on the other side, they're saying, but this it's is why it's a bad. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah, this is why it's a bad measurement, and Chad, correct me if I'm wrong on it. What it means is there's a 1 in 100 chance that that event will happen within a year. Yeah. Right? Is that right, Chad? Yeah. It means that within a given year, there's a 1 in 100. There's a 1% chance that this event will happen. And so even if you took, if you equalized everything, uh, even if all things were equal, there's no climate crisis, there's no anything. What that would mean is that like with any other statistical phenomenon, it can cluster, right? Sorry, Chad, we have this actual statistician on here. No, this is right. This is correct. Keep going. Go, go, go. But it could be like you're flipping a coin, you're flipping a coin, right? And you could get a bunch of tails in a row, right? So even if under the best case scenarios for this, you're saying that something has a 1% chance of happening every year, it doesn't mean that it won't happen five years in a row, right? That could happen. Um, statistically yeah and but actually so, like a one like a like a one percent is not that i mean it's a low percentage but it's not out of the I impossible mean, it's not out of, yeah it's not impossible right. right this is not to defend nate silver but that's one of the things that makes me nuts about with american statistical literacy was about the the trump election where he said what it's a 20 percent chance it would happen and then people are like nate silver you got this so wrong and it's like a 20 percent chance of something happening happens all the time right it's pretty it's not impossible but anyway so like so that's the measurement but then you have to bring in things like that measurement doesn't take into um into account like the very serious climate crisis that we're in and things like that which means that these that that it's probably way above a one percent chance now in fact a lot of these things are going to be regular now right yeah i i I think i want to remember i can't i i want to think maybe it was around ike you know there was like katrina and then ike and Mm -hmm. You know, and like there was like uh there was a hundred year there was a hundred year like storm like three out of like four years like there and right. and um and then there was also like a five hundred year storm like you know every okay. like a cut uh, two years. Poor housekeeping. I told them to come at noon and then I messed that up and I told them to come back at one and it's one and then I tried to explain that I'm in a meeting and they spoke to me in English. So. Said, Get out. <laughs> I'm not wearing a mask. Yeah, I ran to the door. I couldn't find where I set my mask, and I feel like a jerk. Carter, fix that in post production. Yeah, cut cut all of that from that, that long silence spot, spot with the uh, uh, Wes abusing housekeeping in the background. Anyway, what were we talking about? I was just saying slur. I was like, while you were talking about housekeeping, I was was slurring. (laughs) I was saying a lot of slurs. You're you're reading through your ethnic slur notebook that you keep around. (laughs) You found found some new Eastern European ones that you didn't. (laughs) You haven't been sure of yet. Yeah. I didn't realize people from that side of the mountain were like that. (laughs) In uh, in Eastern Ukraine, the way. Everyone Um, drives like this. Um, I, I was going to say that, um, uh, you know, I spent a lot of my life uh, playing RPGs, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and whatever. And um, I always thought that all the information that I got from that, all the skills and everything would be like uh, knowing what a ballista is or a catoblepus or um, the um, 
sort of the origin of the word orc, uh, that sort of stuff. And um, yet I find that when people talk about statistics and especially probability, I've spent so much mm -hmm. of my life rolling dice and knowing that, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that how likely something is. Metaphorically. Well, if you roll, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or that too. But you roll a 20-sided <laughs> dice enough and you know that each <laughs> side is 5% then you know that the chances of something, 5% chance of something happening isn't all that unlikely. Right. Exactly, exactly. And so yeah, I I have a like, non-mathematical brain, and I know that, so I had to kind of like force myself to make it through statistics. But like one thing you do realize is just like, that's most people, like most of the population have a really hard time thinking in those terms. Um, and so that's why measurements like this are just really bad because people assume that means it happens once every 100 years and yeah. it doesn't it never even meant that at all. So it shouldn't have ever been named that. Um, so you can but even if you told people, well, it's a one percent chance of happening, uh, they'll think, well, that means it's never going to happen. And it's like, no, that means that it happens sometimes. Yeah. Well, and they do the same thing with uh, COVID statistics. Uh, for one thing, either yeah. oring it and saying you have a 1% or less than 1% chance of dying, right. which I don't know what they're saying now, the percentage chances. But first right. off, it's like, well, that's one in 100 people dying. That's a lot of people. That's a and lot. then on top of that, right. uh, it's not an either or proposition. Just because you don't die doesn't mean that it doesn't wreck your life financially, doesn't wreck your health, doesn't wreck um, your relationships, doesn't wreck your economy, all the other things that are uh, possibilities besides just living or dying. Well, and also we're talking about statistical thinking, and maybe, Chad, you can remember there's a name for this or not, but I don't know. But it, it makes a bad assumption. It means some people are 100% going to die from it, right? It's, it's, right. Yeah. it's not that everyone spread out across a population have a 1% chance of dying from it. It means that when you spread out deaths across a population, some people have a 100% chance of dying of it. Right. So right. like you're even beginning by thinking about it in, in the wrong terms. And I can't, I think there's a name for that fallacy, but I, I can't don't remember what know that. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I, that might yeah. be a, um, I'll have to look it up. I can't remember. I don't remember any of that stuff, but like, yeah. it's just, it's none of those are going to be helpful ways of thinking because people are so bad at it. I think it does. It is better in the terms of when you say one in 100 people, one in 100 people are going to die. Maybe that helps a little yeah. bit more than saying you have a 1% chance of dying. But with any anything like that, and that's, yeah, you're right. Because so much of this is trying to, like, do things in the margins and do things across in, in um, you know, across large populations of people, maybe these things will help. So people will say, like, well, your mask is only effective, like, 35% of the time or something, right? I, I just made that up. But, like, 35% of the time across, like, every interaction you have during a day with how many ever many people is a lot. It adds up to be a whole, whole lot. And when you're trying to play the margins on these things, that's pretty big. I think it also helps if you say one in a hundred people will die. How many people are Facebook friends of yours? How many people were in your graduating class? And they become yeah, actual right. real people that you know instead of theoretical people mm -hmm. that you feel like you can probably spare if it means you can still go out to the bar. Right, like we talked about this at my in my uh, in in my we talked about this in my statistics class, okay. but we talked about like if you know like there at my high like the high school that I teach at has about like four thousand students. Like if 
roughly around 4,000 students. And I was like, well, if like 1% of like 1% of the students die, that's, you know, that's like, well, I think like 40 students, you know, and I, and then they all remember like a couple of years ago, some kid died, you know, he died on his way to, you know, he died in a car accident and like the whole school was mm-hmm. like completely torn up. And I was like, well, imagine if that happened like 40 times, you know, if that happened like 40 yeah. times and, you know, but and then here's where we get to the dynamic what we were talking about earlier is we know who's more likely to die from it, and so then people are able to like compartmentalize it anymore. Right. It's so like, then I, I then I tell my students. So imagine if like 80 students died. Well, that's a joke because my my students are probably more likely to. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, I Well, and I wonder how much that's also true of um, the people who are dying in Texas from the cold. How many of them are people who they don't matter that much to? I mean, not that anybody matters to Ted Cruz, don't get me wrong. But I think maybe especially people who are living in poorly insulated houses and can't go check themselves into a hotel somewhere or take a road trip to somewhere that does have water and power and things like that, that those people are not really... Well, so he may... Yeah. Not really people in his book. Yeah, he made his CPAC joke after after he must know that one of his constituents, an 11-year-old, died and froze to death in a trailer, right? Yeah. He has to know about that. And he can make yeah. like a joke about, oh, it's better in Cancun when an 11-year-old froze to death in a trailer. Or there was like a family, like a family. Actually, this oh, family the, lived sorry. pretty in close Sugar to Land? him. Yeah, like the Sugarland family that like yeah. the grandma and like all the kids, you know, like they were building a fire in their fireplace and like the house caught on fire and you know, the mom was the only one that escaped, but like the kids died and the grandma died. And I mean, and that's, I mean, there was at least the last I checked, there was like 40 people in, in Houston. So this was just in Houston that died from some, you know, from freezing to death, carbon monoxide poisoning, um, something like that. And it's like, I grew up in, you know, I guess, well, David and I, we, we both grew up in like Tennessee where, you know, like don't, if you get cold, you know, be careful about like, you know, don't bring in the, like the kerosene heater, right, and, you know, we you know, watch the kerosene heater inside or, you know, don't sit in that, don't sit in your car in the garage, you know, for, you know, in a closed garage, but like people don't know. I mean, in Texas, we're not, people are not, you know, it doesn't get, it gets, it gets below freezing on, on a typical winter, you know, it gets below freezing a couple of times, you know, during the winter and it's not, it's for a couple of days. So, and and the houses are built poorly. You know, the houses are not well insulated. I mean, that's the yeah. good house. The good houses are not, you know, insulated because they assume like, well, like they're just going to like, if they get cold, they crank the heat. If they get hot, they crank the AC, you know, so these houses don't need to be insulated, you know, so we can cut the corners. They don't need to be insulated. And so, yeah, I mean, there's been a problem for years in Florida where seniors, a few seniors every year, uh, end up dying in the cold because they retire to Florida and think they don't need heating anymore because they don't live up north. Um, and so, yeah, they buy a poorly insulated house and don't don't have any heating. And then it gets cold like it does sometimes. And and, uh, and they're old, so they're vulnerable, and, and they freeze. So that's, that's how it works, right? Um, and then I think... It's been gone into a lot, but there's been a lot of talk about like why Texas has this insane situation with their power grid. 
right? And it, it goes back at all this other stuff we've talked about where Texas tried to be, tried to exclude itself from anything that's happening nationally where it has control over it. So it has absolutely absurd power grid that only exists in Texas. And now they've overcharged people, I think, what, $16 billion? They've Something like that, what? yes. And they well, I don't know it's called overcharge, yeah. And they were refusing to to refund it. Yeah, now. they just right? made. Uh, they just decided. I think it was yesterday that they're not going to go back and and fix that. They're not going to bring the prices down. So it is kind of crazy because it is uh, like the we're on our own. Most of Texas is on their own power grid. I mean, they're part. I think like the Panhandle the right. and like El Paso decided. Well, that's a ridiculous idea. Like we're you know we're going to stick with the you know the west coast power grid or the east coast power grid but like texas is on their own power grid because we want uncle sam we don't want uncle sam like you know messing around in our power and there are these plans and i try to and they try to sell me on these plans too that where like it's adjustable rates and like you know if the rates are really low like you only have to pay like a couple of cents per kilowatt hour but then when the rates are really high you got to pay the really high rates and like there were like I think during the the height of the the winter storm it was like nine thousand dollars like a kilowatt hour for power and and so like some people are gonna get charged that and and I think everybody's power bill is gonna be really high, and Texas just said, well, like we we're not gonna fix it because that would be bad for the economy if these power companies had to <laughs> make less money, basically, like it was basically like the power, if the power companies have to charge, get to charge, have to charge less, that's going to hurt the economy. And that's not going to be good for anybody. Bring the these G- people the think G- they are new Orleans sewage and water board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bringing yeah. the genius of uh, Uber surge pricing to your, into your home. Yeah. It was like, yeah, that's what it's, um, and they try to sell you. I mean, they try to sell me on it like every, you know, two or three months. I mean, I don't know if they're going to try to do that now, but but um, about this surge pricing and, you know, and Greg Abbott said, like, we're, you know, he's like the hot dog guy from the like, we're going to we got to find who's who's responsible who's, for this. Who did this? Yeah, who did this? And, you know, he's, you know, part, you know, he didn't, he did it wasn't his decision to separate from the the power grid. I mean, that was, you know, Rick Perry and some other, and GW and, you know, and even Rick Perry came out at the height of this and said, well, if Houston's, if Texans have to be without power for a week, you know, that's worth it to, you know, to have, to keep Uncle Sam, to keep federal regulators out of our business i think he he did say that at, at one point yeah. and this was at the and this was at the hot like when there was like you know people were without power you know there was no you know ted cruz was getting on a plane to cancun and you know there was no hope in sight for and rick perry said that but and so greg abbott's not completely responsible for that but he you know put a lot of people on the public utility board and rel the rel, are my favorite uh Texas position, the railroad commissioner who's in charge of the oil and gas, who is responsible for the fact that we didn't have enough natural gas and like the most like, you know, oil, you know, the most fossil fuel producing like state and one of the most fossil fuel producing states like in the world, you know, was running out of natural gas because they had shipped it out everywhere and during the... did it all go to Party City? Is that where it is? I think I think it all went to Party City. The natural gas. Actually, some of it comes to Mexico apparently because um, 
my gas company told me that uh, we might get some interruption in um, uh, gas delivery here because one of the things about Mexico is that they produce tons of oil, but mostly only when prices are high because it comes out of oil shale more than anything else. And so it's expensive to process and stuff and it's not really worth it unless the price is high. But um, also Pemex hasn't invested in refineries very much. So everything gets taken out of the ground here, sent to the U.S. to be processed and then sold back. It's basically mercantilism for the 21st century. Yeah, it's an effective system. It seems to work. Everything seems to work really well. Everything I mean, it, it goes without. Yeah, it goes without saying too. Like people like uh, Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott and everyone else are never ever going to have to experience these conditions. So it doesn't. It doesn't matter to them. I mean, it's I mean and it goes back to like Greg Abbott opening up Texas for business. And, you right. know, the governor's mansion has been closed this entire time. Nobody can visit. You know, normally you can go visit the governor's mansion and, you know, you can take tours of the governor's mansion. But, like, the governor's mansion's been closed since, like, March. And nobody can go in. Nobody can, you know, it's no. But everybody else has got to, you know, so it's the whole, like, yeah, no. And I guess the way they are going to keep getting elected is just survivor bias. Um, uh, yeah, they made it. Well, it's just it. It doesn't matter. The people who support them don't care about this stuff. I don't know any other way to put it. Like that's kind of what it seems like, just from me looking at it. Like there's yeah. there's no penalty. The people who support them see all of this as being a national drama in which the Republicans are good and Democrats are bad, and so Republicans can do what they want to. It doesn't matter. And and then there is like I mean, and Texas is a lot like other. It's like a lot like the United States. I mean, it has like fifty percent of re, of people that are eligible to be registered voters actually show up to vote. So you know, technically, I think like Greg Abbott, I think he won with fifty five percent of the vote. So he really won with fifty five percent of fifty percent. So yeah, he won with right. you know, so he won with you know like less than half of the population. If you think about it, because like the other half. Because they kind of, there's some, dim, you know, you know, people are just, they like, what's the point? You know, like the Democrat, the Republicans are going to keep winning and, you know, the Democrats are going to roll out some, you know, some, you know, milk toast, uh, you know, person. And... I'm about the governor's mansion. I meant to give one of my favorite um, pandemic factoids is that, do you know about, uh, that Tucker Carlson has been renting a studio in rural Maine for this entire pandemic. <laughs> and so for real, he's been producing his Fox show from there in rural Maine, telling people not to be worried about the pandemic. So he's been doing his show for a year from a secluded location in Maine that he pays to rent out. Maybe he's just enjoying tourist season in Maine. I mean, uh, uh, January, February, isn't that isn't that tourist season up there? <laughs> prime, Those are the best. Prime, well, the the Texas Republicans they had the Texas Republican convention was in per it was like a live convention, so like you know, and this was back I don't know when was it September October you know it was something, well I guess it would have been before but I mean it was during the pandemic, and they did it live in person, but all the keynote speakers appeared via like video video conference. yeah like. 
Yeah, so like the the delegates had to be there, but all the big names, you know, zoomed in and were like projected on a big screen. And um, of course, God bless Texas. Of course. Well, something well, we haven't gotten to, and we're getting close to the oh, end no. again, is um, uh, what we didn't get to last time, which is uh, uh, unionization of Amazon workers. Um, I was which glad to see. I, you, yeah, I know. Big Joe, Big Joe Biden yep. came in, came out and for it. Uh, yep. Good for him, and said, and the Major League uh, Baseball Players Association. Um, endorsed it. So Joe Biden put out the video in which he never said it by name, but it was pretty clear what he was referencing, saying that workers have a right to unionize. And then the Major League Baseball Players Association said explicitly they were in support of the unionization efforts, um, which are still going on. And, you know, you're, you're right. We haven't talked about it enough, and it's probably one of the biggest stories in the country, so we probably should do that. But it's a, it's a very good thing, and hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, it would be very big if yeah. Roll, roll tide for the third time today. Roll tide. Roll tide. Bo Jackson's hometown, Bessemer, Alabama. What's Bo Jackson's take? I wonder what Bo Jackson has said. Ooh, I actually, I don't, probably don't, I don't want to know. know. Yeah, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I think it would be. Yeah, I don't want to know. Don't want to know Bo Jackson's take on that. <laughs> it could be good. Who knows? It could be like Dale Murphy saying Black Lives Matter. <laughs> I don't want to take that chance. Speaking of a once in five hundred year storm, that was, <laughs> I think we yeah. that pat, that moment passed by too quickly. That Dale Murphy's a BLM guy. Yeah, we should revel yeah. in that forever. Whereas Chipper Jones is a Sandy Hook folks guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I thought you were gonna say we haven't got around to talking about Dr. Seuss yet. I was really ready for that. Yeah, rest in peace, rest in power, Doctor Seuss. Rest in white power. power. Rest in power, Doctor Seuss's suicided wife. <laughs> I do, I Have you read her? To, I just no. hate to uh, uh, throw any flames on that non-fire. It's just like it's so dumb. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I was saying like nothing about it, and then someone who actually I know who actually has pretty good politics, like was like, "This is enough. This is where I draw the line." And I responded, this is the dumbest controversy ever. And they got really angry at me and said, you can't start a debate by calling something dumb. I'm like, that wasn't having a debate. It's, it's made up. And it'll be something else next week. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it, it was Mr. Yeah, Potato Head last week. And it's Dr. Seuss yeah. this week. <laughs> One week is, is Chipper Jones getting canceled. One week, you know, if they're going to cancel Chipper Jones. Just... <laughs> The, who is it as um, uh, one of the Castro brothers like advisors had the, the tweet of the week where he said that uh, since Republicans are only capable of doing um, this kind of culture warfare stuff, that the Democrats should just like get rid of the filibuster and at the same time have a press conference announcing that Fred Flintstone's a racist. Oh, I, saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, a, it, I want to give credit. I think it was a Sawyer Hackett, somebody Hackett. I he saw, had a great yeah, politics I man. Was, I, I saw that, yeah. But he's absolutely right. Like, if that's the only thing you can be geared up to do, yeah, just go do the politics stuff and keep keep playing that stuff over here. <laughs> Fred Flintstone, <laughs> racist. But I have, you know, 
of the the few kind of conservatives on my Facebook that are still there, mainly people from my hometown, people are going absolute batshit about the Dr. Seuss thing. It is so stupid. I think well, also um, Jeet here had the point. Oh, go ahead. I saw somebody point out the other day that um, last year Dr. Seuss made the second most money of any dead person. That he made like thirty million dollars, uh-huh. his estate did. Uh, and Michael yeah. Jackson's the only yeah. uh, dead person who had made more money last year than him. And it's like it's it's he's not canceled. I mean, every liberal I know is going to read One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish to their kid. Doctor, they're yeah. not refusing yeah. to. Uh, and the estate decided not to publish a few books and. Um, whatever the America reads or uh, uh, reading books with America or whatever, some event that I'm sure is very important to a lot mm-hmm. of people, but it's not very like important. Oh, crucial. It, well, it's not like they catapulted, catapulted Dr. Seuss to fame and now they're taking it away from him. They hook their <laughs> wagon to his star by using right. his birthday and they're like, Oh, well maybe w- that wasn't such a good idea, but it's not going to affect his book sales. Um, the books that are not being published yeah, anymore. Other books. Well, and those were books <coughs> that nobody, uh, most of us, except for to think I that I saw it on Mulberry okay. Street. I most people had never even. That's the only it. one that I ever remember. Yeah, yeah. To to go to the zoo or something. I, who knows? <laughs> uh, if who I knows ran the zoo it? and if um, I ran the circus, were to, in the school library when I was a kid. So I had seen those, and I liked them because they were yeah. Dr. Seuss. They were crazy pictures and stuff. But uh, it's like you know, it wouldn't have it. it not it, important. It's not an insult to my childhood that uh, some kids going to read Hop on right. Pop instead of reading If I Ran the Circus or If I Ran the Zoo. Yeah. I think it is Leslie. because I think that all the zoo is full of ethnic people. And they go on Robert E. Lee's birthday. I think is yeah. <laughs> I would advise Dr. Seuss, as the drive-by trucker said, uh, making money you can't spend ain't what being dead's about. <laughs> um, there's one other thing I was going to say. Oh, oh, I think Jeet here had the point, which is about this. With like, if, to take, if you believe, if you were to honestly take the conservative position on this one, you would have to believe, one, that uh, copyright law shouldn't exist anymore, and two, that every book that's ever been in print should constantly remain in print. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. I suppose. I mean, <laughs> why not invest in that? All right. Well, I think we're out of time for this week. So. Yeah, we just yep. came up with a great business idea. So keep it everything in print forever. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.